I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Work Happy, the new podcast all about workplace happiness, brought to you by Worklife, with me, journalist Angelica Malin. This season, we're going on a journey to dig deep into the secrets of workplace happiness, with advice from experts, entrepreneurs, and coaches in the field. This week, I'm joined by Michael Phillips Moskowitz, founder of Moodrise. We explore the concept of digital nutrition and how what content we consume affects our mood. episode i am joined by michael phillips moskowitz thank you so much for joining me you are the founder of mood rise that's right can you tell us a little bit about the app mood rise is an attempt to inculcate the basic virtues of digital nutrition which we define as a more purposeful approach to consuming content that the average you know we, we understand now that the average person whether you're a brit or an american like me consumes an estimated 12 hours and seven minutes of digital assets and materials every single day wow. that's only rivaled by a combination of eating and sleep in terms of other biological imperatives. The challenge is that most of that material, uh, much of that material can be problematic, not all of it. Mm. And people aren't necessarily making informed decisions because we've never been taught about the basics either of digital literacy. We've never been steeped in a tradition of digital hygiene. And we're only beginning to develop an awareness of how this can have an outsized and very often negative impact on or over the way that we feel. Mm. And so the premise, which came about courtesy of research that I was conducting while I was a fellow at Harvard, was that the world's biggest brands and businesses are typically uh, built on three pillars. One is psychopharmacology. You needn't look any further than Facebook, who've been operating and behaving like cocaine cowboys, trafficking in dopamine for the last 10 years. And it has, in essence, broken the world. It's certainly broken our psyche, right? I don't want to draw a causal relationship between mental illness and Facebook. What I would say is that we have to be aware of some of the negative and known mental health stats here in the United Kingdom, where one in four of your fellow countrymen will experience some kind of or some form of a mental health Mm. issue this year. In the States, it's one in five. Mm. And there is a relationship between our digital habits and the way that we feel. So the the idea from Harvard was that if companies traffic in psychopharmacology and the biggest brands and businesses have deep behavioral ravines, you know, cigarette-like habits of 20 touch points a day or the messaging business, Mm. 200 opportunities to communicate with somebody in the course of a 24-hour period. That has to be another variable with which we contend. And the third, Mm -hmm. based on the success of either Walt Disney 
or Jim Henson for the Muppets and Sesame Street, or Steve Jobs and John Lasseter, that if you can excite or alight a childlike sense of wonder and awe, you can give people permission to adopt new behaviors or develop new interests and awarenesses. And so armed with those principles, we decided to figure out what would you know digital health food look like? That was one question. Mm. And the other was, um, for those that are inclined to take pills, and we'll get into this in a moment, what would a powderless pill look like? Like, not even in physical form. What if we could take supplements that would vastly improve human health outcomes, whether we're talking about emotional resilience or behavioral health or general well-being? What if we could make a demonstrable difference and a positive one on and over the way that people feel without having to consume anything other than the things we're drawn to in the first place? Mm. And so what we have developed so far, starting last month with the release of our mobile app, is an experience that begins to train you in what are the neurotransmitters, you know, the, the brain chemicals that are triggered or released by exposure to specific provisions of content. So here are the basics. Mm. Um, sensations of serenity and calm are, are strongly correlated with GABA. That is a brain molecule, a neurotransmitter. Self-confidence and pleasure-seeking are strongly correlated with dopamine. Serotonin is the threshold atop which happiness can be erected, sustained, and maintained. Endorphins we rely on for energy. Acetylcholine for focus. And oxytocin is the bonding and love molecule. Mm. So when you're petting your cat or dog at home, it doesn't just release oxytocin in you. It triggers oxytocin in she or him. Mm. And that's pretty remarkable. And we can recreate some of those sensations mm. just the power of digital. So we have a mobile app out now. Starting in eight days, we're going to have an audio experience for Google Home and Alexa. And Kristen Scott Thomas is doing voiceovers, and Deventer Banhart has produced an entirely original musical score. Um, J.D. Sampson from La Tigra and Men has curated other assets and materials. And I want to be, I want to set appropriate expectations. It's an experiment. Mm. It's not a fully dimensionalized product yet. We want to see how people react. Next coming out is a mood measurement tool for your Apple Watch. Mm. And in late April, since the Oscars are for film and the Emmys are for television and the Clios are for advertising and the Tonys are for theater, we have developed the Mood Rise 1000, which are the most nutritious pieces of content across not all, but four major platforms. Uh, Vimeo, Hulu, Netflix, YouTube. Mm. And so when you're feeling down or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling scatterbrained and you're needing something to sort of recalibrate and adjust, these are wonderfully nutritious pieces of content that you can self-administer like you would a solution at the pharmacy. Yeah, a supplement. A supplement. So just on a real like practical level, yeah. how does it actually work, the app? Like, Talk me through the user experience. Right, so when you land on the app, you see six different treatments that you can choose from. Happiness, and the primary drug or chemical is oxytocin. Focus, strongly correlated with acetylcholine. Uh, energy, endorphins. Calm, GABA. Um, happiness, serotonin. Mm. And then you will start to go through various treatments where we have, you know, diligently prepared, curated, or brought together types of content that are designed and proven in labs to trigger a specific neurotransmitter. So you can see in the app what the existing or supporting science is if you don't believe us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the principles of the company are, to me, sacrosanct. One, we got to be science first, right? We have to, we can only, and we must always rely on uh, published articles and peer-reviewed journals that are highly cited. Just because it was published once doesn't mean anything. If it's routinely cited by their peers, then it really has merit. Number two, we have to be science-friendly. I wasn't a PhD. 
not not in chemistry, and we'll get to that in a moment. I had a completely different background, and we have to break it down so people can make sense of what the hell this is. Mm. And the third, because we don't see this often enough in the valley, and I use the valley in the broadest possible sense. This, you know, if you're doing anything in tech, it's the valley. Whatever. We have to do the right goddamn thing, right? The future is watching. Behave accordingly. And those values are deeply baked into this company. And so we're trying not to cure deep um, episodes of crippling depression that I know all too well, right? I mean, I was hospitalized for nearly a year when I was 14. I was hospitalized again in my freshman year of college. I've struggled mightily with type 2 bipolar disorder my entire adolescent and adult life. And I've had periods when I was medicated, periods when I was unmedicated, mm-hmm. periods that I was effective and efficient and periods that I was a hopeless mess. Like, I know how tough these issues are. And our only modest mission is to, one, improve people's understanding of techniques or tools that they can self-administer to improve the way that they feel and the quality of their lives. Two, to adopt appropriate behaviors around what clinicians and clergy would commonly agree are the fundamentals of human health and happiness. Diet, sleep, exercise, interpersonal relationships, vocation or purpose. Can I control those five? No. But I would argue that since the release of the iPhone in 2007, there's now a critical sixth pillar. And that's what we're talking about today. Digital nutrition, what you consume matters. It has an Mm. impact on and over the way that you feel. Mm. If we can help improve literacy in this area and we can help teach the basics of hygiene, when to and when not to use digital, Mm. it can begin to make an incremental and a meaningful difference. Mm. So it's not the, it's not a panacea, right? There's no simple solution here. It's a combination of awareness and practice. And I think this is a gateway to helping, as I said before, at the risk of sounding hopelessly repetitive, you know, incrementally improving the quality mm. of people's lives. Because I think that that sixth element you talked about, about our relationship with our phone is having such an impact on all the others yeah. in that it's affecting our sleep. It's We're comparing ourselves, thinking that we're not goal-driven, purpose-driven, mm-hmm. and our relationship with our work. So that comparison is where so many people are just falling into a hole with it and spending so much time on Instagram and comparing themselves. If you can find me one person who whose life is better off fault or courtesy of Instagram. I'd like to see it. I know. Mm. People say, what about influencers? I'd oh. be curious to know. Are they really, truly happy? Mm. Like That's a hard thing to prove. But friends of mine that have a followership in the hundreds of thousands or in the millions, mm. if you scratch beneath the surface, you will not find people who feel entirely whole. That's not an accusation. What I'm trying to establish is an understanding and some degree of sympathy. I was struck by something somebody said several years ago when I really was in the depth of one of my depressive cycles. And she said, if something makes you feel happier, maybe do more of it. And if something makes you feel bad, you might consider doing less of it. Now, I don't think technology is a good or a bad thing prima facie or ipso facto. What we do with technology is what matters, Mm. right? And I think there are a moment that we're all beginning to reconsider or contend with the role of these devices in our lives. Can they accelerate our ambitions, our value, enhance our values, increase the quality of our lived experience, or is it detracting from them? And we're going to have to make, I think, a series of more responsible decisions about how we relate to it. Look, there was a piece that we published in HBR, Harvard Business Review, two and a half weeks ago. And in it, we established or wanted to point people to a very simple comparison. In 1964, which, which we now think of as the peak tobacco in America, Americans consumed 560 billion cigarettes that year, right? And the public awareness of, about, or around the dangers of tobacco was relatively shallow. People didn't really know. And, and we know the reasons for it. People were preventing a lot of that silence from being published or shared. 
Today, I'd say we might very well be in the throes of peak content. Mm. So what are we going to do about it? Or can we? I, I think there's a lot that we can do. And some of it is through limiting our exposure to these phones, at least at specific times of day, right? Like mm. within 45 minutes of sleep, it's probably best not to be on your phone. Do I practice that with um, <laughs> any degree of orthodox commitment? No, I struggle too, right? I'm not perfect, right? Well, we're all trying here. But if we can begin to have more meaningful conversations, mm. if we can avail ourselves of more reasonable tools, if we can enhance our general awareness of the costs and benefits of exposure, mm. we can begin to make a real difference in terms of the lived experience of human beings on this planet. Mm. What I think is really interesting is that as digital communication has become a lot greater, I feel like physical communication has really broken down. I agree in with that you. I, in the industry I work in as a journalist, I used to get phone calls the whole time, mm -hmm. and that's how we do stories. The PR agency would ring me. Mm -hmm. And now if people will never want to speak on the phone, they're scared of it, people don't even want to meet in person as much and really? yet we're really happy to whatsapp to email to dm sure. me on twitter and i can see that change and i can see it with my friends as well that people don't ring each other anymore well let's build on this idea you know if you talk to geriatrists who specialize in elderly care you know what the most lethal cause of illness tends to be over the age of 70 mm. loneliness yeah right we don't live in the kind of supportive challenging loving devoted communities that we once took for granted that's one of the things with which I think we have to commonly contend in the modern world. What are we going to do about it? Now, mercifully, there is some hope that we're beginning to witness what I would call flat-age society. It's not my term. I mean, we've seen it bandied about before. But my mother, who's 73, I'm sure she's going to take offense that I mentioned her age on the radio, but she has relationships with kids younger than me. Like, I'm, I'm 40. She has friendships with people that are 28. I think it's pretty remarkable. She also lives in an unusual place, Palo Alto, California, and she goes back and forth to campus where she used to work at Stanford, right? Um, that's amazing. But what if you don't have those outlets? What if you don't have uh, the, the comfort provided by a major confessional order? Let's let simplify the language. If you don't root, routinely go to church, mosque, synagogue, ashram, or some other spiritual practice, how are we possibly expected to reset, renew, or restore and address our soulful needs? It's hard. Online alone isn't going to be enough. I was right? going to say, like, does, does online community come close to actually having that physical community you talked about? I think it really depends, right? It depends on the type of the experience. It depends on the tool. It depends on the setting and on the environment. Some of these things can be toxic and practically radioactive. Some can be profoundly healthful and healing. Mm. It really depends. So I'll give you some examples. You know, there's an app that I use and I happen to love, and I think the founders are doing a remarkable job. Peak, based here in London. And it's brain training. And it's backed by serious science. Mm. If that can help keep people spry, right, active, um, sharp, not just, you know, over the age of 70, but under the age of 40, mm. I think that's terrific and significant. I think some of the pioneering work that we've seen done by Common Headspace, could you have imagined in 2012 or 2013 that you'd have a meditation app or a pair of them worth hundreds of millions of dollars? That would seem inconceivable. Mm. And I would say that similarly, people might think that this is the stuff of air or bluster. And I would say it's just the opposite. I'd say that this is an inevitable and an inexorable movement. And there are going to be many different people and parties that attempt to create products and experiences that other people find not just healthful or helpful, but healing, mm. right, that they can gravitate towards and embrace. 
That's important, but there is no single solution. And I think the only thing we're hoping is that, and this is a story I've told before, but I think conceptually this is how I want people to understand it. You know, we tend to think of our lives as a series of stories, right? If you recount the details of your childhood, you'll tell us a story. It could be something touching and hilarious. It could be something truly painful and hard to hear. But that isn't actually representative of the way that life truly works. Life is chemistry that we experience through the prism of narrative. And so the example I'll give you, since we have this water here, water has surface tension. So if I sprinkled chalk on the top, or cinnamon, or powdered sugar, it would rest delicately across the top, almost like scum on a pond. But if I administer a single drop of soap, it will break the surface tension. So what you would see happen in this glass of water is that detritus on the surface would peel back. Mm. And our insight when we started the company was if you peel back that thin membrane of narrative that we think of as our lives, what you're left with is an infinitely complex kaleidoscope of chemistry. And we know that specific content types, stories, you can call them stories, or videos and sounds, music, and other uh, entertainment assets can alter our lived experience through chemistry because it triggers these neurotransmitters. So what if we were able to help you dial up the drugs that you wanted when you wanted them, mm. the feelings that are correlated with these drugs? Mm. That is what we're doing mm. for mobile, for Google Home and Alexa, potentially for future platforms mm. as we head into the space of AR and VR, what's to come. It's the insights strongly rooted in chemistry applied to a productized experience that feels contemporary. I mean, it kind of blows my mind, the idea of being able to release endorphins without having to go to a hit class or, um, I don't know, to reform a Pilates, that you could just sit and look at something on your phone and you could release that within yourself. I think it's um, it's it's an amazing amount of control. Like It, it sure. feels great that you can take those reins back a little bit. Because sure. I think the problem that I see with, with social media is that we don't have a consciousness about how it makes us feel. Yeah. So I can spend a couple of hours on Instagram and it will only be kind of later that I feel a bit weird and a bit unhappy and I, I don't necessarily link it in my mind whereas you, in the way that you know that eating like a bar of dairy milk makes you sure. feel a bit rubbish sure. so I think that's kind of part of the problem we have is we, we're not really sure what we're doing with all this stuff well we're still in our adolescence when it comes to mm. <laughs> a lot of these tools devices services and experiences we haven't fully matured mm. and so with maturity comes deeper insight and an understanding like when you start off as a oh, I'm not going to assume when you started drinking or experimenting with drugs. But you probably had some accidents. I'd imagine that you did. We all do. Yeah. And at some point, you know... I lost you. <laughs> and you're Many still accidents. recovering. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so you develop a sense, what I would call, uh, of your limitations. You develop an understanding of your own sensitivities and triggers, and you can behave more responsibly. No one has ever taught us what tech can and will do, mm. right? They haven't gone to the trouble in most cases of labeling it. Now, consider this. Movies come with a rating. Television shows increasingly have a complex one, right? It says AC for adult content, AL for adult language, N for nudity, V for violence. All right, now I have some sense of what to expect. Now, that's typically applicable to parents trying to control or govern or guide what their kids see or consume. What about for us, right? It's all fine and well to know that the program has those kinds of assets, but wouldn't it be even more helpful if we took a, if we borrowed a page from the realm of consumer products and potables, which are very clearly expressing what the contents are of that 
consumable food or a drink. You even see it on spice bottles. We're endeavoring to do the same with mm. digital content. Mm. So you can begin to self-administer doses of the things you want and need when you need it mm. to correct or modify your mood, right? I'm not suggesting that it's a panacea. Let's be clear. Mm. Just because you can witness uh, a cheetah running that might trigger the release of endorphins, it doesn't mean you don't have to go to the gym. Mm. It means that as you become hyper-aware and more sensitive about the shifts in mood from moment to moment, you can enhance not your own literacy, but you can become more emotionally resilient. That's the goal. Not to be happy all the time. Mm. That's an impossibility. But to moderate the periods between... Uh, and by periods, I mean the, the frequency. How long does happiness last? How long do down episodes... I mean, how, how quickly can we correct those down moments, right? Mm. And more importantly, can we take the severe changes in mood and soften them a bit. Mm. You know, like Patton Oswalt used to say, like, I got sick of all the reds and blacks. I can deal with blues and greens. Mm. Right? And that's that's the hope here. As, as we increase our level of intelligence and sensitivity to our own deeper needs and our own ideal selves, we can mm. mu- if, you know, act as more responsible emotional beings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that resilience, that rather something being a, a massive catastrophe, it's something, a, a roadblock and how we deal with problems when they come up. Um, talk to me about workplace happiness. That's the theme of this season of the podcast. Sure. What have you found about creating a happy work environment? You've obviously started and sold lots of different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any themes that you found throughout that makes you happy at work? Uh, there's several things. So um, I, I think there's something really important that you consistently hear from service people, whether they're in the military or whether they're working, say, for the NHS, is their peers make an enormous difference. The people to your left and to your right are generally the reason that you come into work every single day. Mm. And if you're profoundly unhappy in work, it's very often attributable not just to a despotic boss. I mean, maybe that could be the case. Or a lack of vision or mission that can, I think, factor very prominently in people's lives and state of satisfaction. That's true. But the people with whom you're working are maybe the most important piece. I'd say that's critical. Second is... For me, and people may identify this, or they may take umbrage and, and, and disagree, I think the vision and the mission are profound. That's what I live for, you know, is, is where we're going and why. If that doesn't agree with my deeper values and identity, it's awfully difficult to get out of bed in the morning. Um, I'd say that as I reflect back on my role at eBay, you know, I had a very fancy title, and I was very privileged to be there. I also was immature, Right. I took everything far too personally. I cared too much. And I was, I'd say, to a degree that was, I confess, enormously problematic, impatient. Right. You can't change massive organizations overnight. And nobody expected me to. And every single time that my ambitions or efforts were dent, uh, slowed by others or I ran into roadblocks, which was consistently the case. I took it very personally. I won't do that again. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I think three things are critical. One, I was lucky enough to have a really remarkable mentor. Uh, I think it's enormously important for people to find one. Two, um, you know, I suffered as a result of all of the things that happened there. And I, I, I've adopted a new set, I, number one, of coping techniques yeah. and new awarenesses about what's appropriate in a workplace setting, whether it's a startup environment or a corporate landscape. And three, self-care is vitally important. And during eBay days, I was working 110 hours a week. 
50 of them at eBay, maybe 60. And then I had eight companies that I was advising. I sat on three or four boards. I was actively collecting art. I was traveling around the world constantly. It's not a recipe for happiness or health, right? It's a recipe for madness. And I had the, you know, the drive to do it, but it also took a toll. And so I'm taking a very different approach to building this company. You know, the joke, I don't know if anyone has ever remembered this, if they're we're close to my age of American. There used to be something called a hair club for men. Mm-hmm. And it was a hair replacement, something or other. And the commercials, the guy used to say, I'm not just the president of the hair club for men. I'm also a member. <laughs> and the idea here is the only reason that I have social or psychic permission to do this company is because I'm a fellow sufferer, right? Mm-hmm. So it has to somehow work for me. And I have to practice and model these behaviors. Yeah. It's not. The whole thing shouldn't be done in the first place. Yeah. yeah. It's like, would you use your own product or service? Are you? Have to. Have to. I have to practice what I can only describe as an orthodox approach to mental health, which includes, as we said before, proper diet, proper sleep, exercise, interpersonal relationships, which are hard given my travel schedule between the continent and the U.S., right? I mean, I have to – I find myself – forcibly calling people to stay connected because I don't always get a chance to see them as often as I'd like. And this, London, is a really hard place to live unless you prioritize personal relationships in person, mm. right? The digital equivalent is a far cry from what I think you you, you yeah. really need. And then the final piece is, mercifully in my case, it's, uh, I'm focused on it intensely, which is purpose, right? Vocation. Mm. That yeah. informs all those other pieces. Do you think we're moving towards an age where kind of big corporate companies like eBay um, care a lot more about their employees and are a lot more focused on workplace happiness? Or do you think it's still a little bit tokenistic? I think it, it varies from company to company. Mm. Some people invest hugely in the well-being, sort of in the comprehensive well-being of their employees. Um, from anecdotal evidence, it appears that Optimizely is one such example based in San Francisco. Um, from what I've heard, anyway, Airbnb seems to prioritize these pieces. You know, design firms of global notoriety like IDEO invest hugely in employee well-being and happiness. And I think we're still trying to figure out and optimizing for standards, practices, behaviors, expectations, and measurement tools, right? We have to be able to assess the impact of some of these decisions. Um, I will tell you a funny story. We brought... <laughs> Uh, a delegation of uh, students from the Kennedy School that represented a veritable UN, kids from China, Korea, India, more closer to home, Canada, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, fill in the blank. And one of the Chinese students is on the Facebook campus, looks around at the cafes and the gym and the office material and the bikes and all of it and said, this is communism. <laughs> Because it was truly a comprehensive scheme for living. They don't want you to leave. Yeah. So for all of the ire and the rebuke and, you know, the, the, the venom that we cast on Facebook at the moment, you know, they seem to be public enemy number one. In fairness, they are trying yeah. to, and again, I don't want to speak about their policy and things we're reading about in the press, but in terms of their, their investment in employee well-being, they seem to take that quite seriously. Yeah, I think so. Although I suppose you're right. A lot of these things are perhaps tricking you into working longer hours. Could and, be. But yeah, just getting, um, I don't know, a bit brainwashed perhaps. Um, for our last section of the show, we ask mm-hmm. the guests all the same questions. So I'd like to ask you, what are some of the things that you do on perhaps a daily or a weekly basis for your own mental health? Uh, I, I am routinely checking up on friends. I and mean, this has been a year of 
It's been a big cancer year, right? I lost my best friend to a glioblastoma a little over a year ago. One of my team members was shortly thereafter diagnosed with type 2 breast cancer. One of my investors was diagnosed with cancer. They incidentally were at the same hospital undergoing surgery at the same time. I could include another four people. So routine phone calls and staying connected to people who are fighting illnesses is a big piece of my daily routine uh, that probably takes up all of my social priorities at the moment. Yeah. But I also believe that I mean, these are also opportunities to get closer to people, right? Yeah. Like, you know, friendship, what would you want to say? What, what is the ultimate measure of a friendship? The investment of love that you make. Mm. And so I think these are chances to sort of rally. I've been described before as a foul weather friend. Fair weather, you'll never hear from me. When things go wrong, Johnny on the spot. <laughs> Okay. I think I have to probably balance that out because you know what there is. A, there, sometimes when you're happy, you want to see people too. Yeah, yeah. But um, I haven't yeah. figured that out yet entirely. Yeah, I think sometimes with friendship, it's just about showing up. Well, then I think I agree. showing up, just I agree. being there. I agree. Um, what about exercise? What are some of the forms of exercise that you like to do? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a pretty Jewy looking guy, and so that might be cause or occasion to run from several different situations in public, but I prefer going to the gym uh, at least four or five days a week because I'm running a startup. I don't have all the luxuries of working with a trainer every single more. I just have to be highly self-motivated, either some combination of self-loving, self-loathing in order to you know derive the sufficient motivation. Just the right balance yeah, to make right. you actually and do it. That's hard. It's hard to say, how do I think so much of myself and at the same time so little that sitting around at home and allowing the power of um, what do you want to call it, lethargy or momentum to take a, you know, I, I don't want that to freeze me in place. Yeah, I think I don't do exercise at the times when I love myself the most. I'm like, oh, I don't really need That's to. Interesting. A little bit of self-loathing probably pushes you. It probably <laughs> just a touch, just I mean, a sprinkle. There's a horribly off-colored joke that Daniel Tosh makes, but I think that everyone in your audience would take such grave offense that I have to hold my lips. I think on the exercise front, I'm looking for a new way. Like, for me, the only tragedy is that I don't do any social exercise. Mm. You know, I don't go to classes. I don't go to yoga. I, I wish I could and should. I would. Uh, maybe that's something that I can work on in the future because my whole existence is quite, other than my team, whom I love and am so intensely grateful for, right? This is not a me project or business. We are doing it. And they are the ones that make it worth showing up to work for every single day. I just wish that I had it, or I, maybe I'm reflecting on this now here with you. Maybe I should do a slightly better job of... Looking after yourself. Yeah, we're practicing some kind of uh, social routine outside of working hours. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm quite poor at that. Class pass. That's the answer. It's, class pass is the answer to every <laughs> question. I don't care where. Really? Class pass is always That's the now, answer. All yeah. right. I like it. I'll try Yeah, it. I will recruit you and I will get £40 credit. Thank you very much. <laughs> that sounds a lot like a Ponzi scheme, but <laughs> all right. Let's try it. And um, one more question, and then my final question um, is: What three foods could you not live without? Three foods. Oh god, I'm so not a food. I tend to think of food as fuel, which is only going to make people hate me. But let me think about it for oh, a no, second. Are you one of those people? I don't know where that, that makes comes me from. Sad. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I have strange late night hankerings. Mm -hmm. That's not very Jewish to not be into food. I, 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 I Speaking agree as a fellow Jew. Oh, right there. But if you tell people, then they know how to find you. <laughs> it's only going to make the anti-Semites <laughs> take one step closer. Like, ah, oh, added to the list. <laughs> Uh, three things I could not live without here and in the UK. Mm -hmm. Coffee, desperately. I, I seem to be a hopeless addict. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sober in every other way, but in that respect, I'm a practicing willful addict. Uh, the second would be kombucha, but I don't have it often enough because it isn't sold as I mean, indiscriminately as it is American choices. I'm loving it. I agree it. with you. Or, oh, 
there is a there is a Pakistani chicken place in Whitechapel around the block from where I used to live, and it literally is one thirty sixth of the world to come. <laughs> really wasn't uh, really wasn't expecting that. Yeah. After the kombucha. Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing. Okay, thank you. And uh, finally, what makes you happy at work? The people, right? I mean, these people are the most generous, smart, hardworking, charitable, creative, hilarious, collaborative team that I've ever had the privilege of working with, right? That's what makes it worthwhile. Absolutely. Every single day is worth it when they're around. I think the challenge is that, you know, when I'm out trotting around the U.S. Uh, administering, you know, like, like uh, fulfilling my role as CEO and founder, that's all important and in many cases rewarding. But like I said at the beginning, it's like you like what I hear from you know, the, the Air Force personnel with whom we now are currently working. Why do you wake up in the morning to work with the men and women to your left and work with the men and women to your right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's why we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that everybody gets a chance to work with teams that they find that inspiring and that talented and that selfless because that's like th- this is not the era of me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not. This is the era of we. We just got to figure out how exactly you optimize those teams in a collaborative fashion. So, you know, um, you're strengthening one another. Amazing. Well, you're a very inspiring guest. Thank you so much for joining Thank me. you for having me. Um, if people would like to find out more about you and download the app, where should they find it? Moodrise.co or abz.com. That's A-E-B-E-Z-E. Don't ask why, but it's A-E-B-E-Z-E.com. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. listening to this week's episode of Work Happy. If you're looking to work happier, book your free week at any work-life space at work.life forward slash free trial. Thanks for listening and don't forget to share, subscribe, rate and review. We'll see you next time and until then, work happy. This is
been a candy store production for Work Life, hosted by Angelica Malin and produced by Van Connor. T-shirt weather by Poddington Bear appears under Creative Commons 3.0, with podcast recording facilities in partnership with Work Life. Visit work.life for more information, and you can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.